0: Teaching you some valuable skills for life, guys. Just looking out for you. Uh, How many, just out of curiosity, how many Walking Dead fans do we have in the house? Yes. Okay. All right. Good number of you. How about like just zombies in general? Like just zombie fan movies, shows. Okay. Pretty good number. Um, I have to, at the beginning, just kind of confess to you something that might change your perception of me a little bit um, as a pastor. But I love zombies. I do. I, I love zombie movies and shows, and apparently um, that's not necessarily normal in my field of work. And I know this because I was at seminary this week up in the Twin Cities, and I was looking at video clips, zombie video clips, to potentially show during the series. And uh, somebody looked over my shoulder, and they're like, "I told them about my love for zombies, and we're doing this series called The Walking Dead." And uh, they looked at me like I was a zombie, <laughs> like I hadn't eaten for a long time, and. Um, Yeah, but I I can't help it, quite honestly. I I absolutely love zombies. I remember in high school, uh, me and my brothers would always watch the Army of Darkness. Any Army of Darkness fans? Yes. (laughs) So good. Um, I I love the funny ones, too, that make fun of zombies, like uh, uh, zombie movies, uh, like Shaun of the Dead. Any Shaun of the Dead fans? Yes. Okay. Zombieland. Any Zombieland fans? Yes. Um, Probably my two favorite zombie movies. Uh, There's a tie. Uh, I love I Am Legend. Yes, very good, very good. Will Smith, uh, end of the world, zombie apocalypse. Gives up his life to save humanity. I wonder where they got that story. Um, but it's really good. Um, and then uh, 28 Days Later, is probably my other one. And uh, 28 Days Later, so that was like the introduction of the sprinting, running zombies, which like took the terrifying level to a whole new level. So some of that would not, when the zombie apocalypse happens, uh, just so you know, if they run, like 28 Days Later to Picks. Uh, you're gonna want to work out and be in shape. So, so anyway, so I love uh, my wife, and I were really big into the TV show Walking Dead, um, big fans of it. And so part of part of the reason for this series is the fact that I love, I do love zombies, and I have a microphone, and uh, <laughs> I, I get to subject you to the things that I love as I draw metaphors from culture. But um, the real reason, the real reason that we're doing uh, this series called The Walking Dead, is there is. There's a question that has bothered me for a really long time. And the first time I, um, the first time I heard the question articulated um, quite like this uh, was several years ago by a guy by the name of Matt Chandler. And uh, so huge props to him this morning. But when he asked it, the moment he asked it, he was like, that's, that's my question. like that's, that's, that's the question that I was asking as I grew up in this kind of church world thing in the West And what caused me to run from from organized religion altogether for a very long time. And it's a question that I've asked. I asked as a single man and as a married man since I've asked. I asked it long before I was a pastor. And now that I'm a pastor, I, I think I probably ask this question more than ever. And honestly, when I open up the scriptures, oftentimes, more often than not, The question is sitting there staring me in the face and as I continue on this journey and just look around kind of the spiritual landscape in the west and this whole church world Christianity thing um, that has become here anyway uh, I find myself just plagued by this question Uh, honestly it it haunts me uh, in a very real way and so this morning um, this morning as we start this series called The Walking Dead I just want to ask the question and that's all I want to do uh, I just want to create a lot of tension. And just so you know, at the end of this message, there's not going to be any resolve. All right, It's not going to tie up neat and tidy. There's no application points. Uh, I want you to leave with this, this restlessness, this, this feeling in your stomach as we think about this question and as we feel it together. Okay, And so this morning, what I'm going to do is we're going to open up the scriptures and I'm going to give you a, a smattering, if you will. Of passages of scripture. And what I want to do is I want to just paint this picture for you and I want you to ask what is wrong with this picture. Right, living in 2013 in Lincoln, Nebraska, with all of your personal experiences that you've had, what is what's wrong with this? And so I'm kind of it's kind of, you know, normally I try to really hone in and focus and it's like one passage of scripture maybe. Uh, but this morning's kind of the shotgun approach, which I thought was particularly appropriate. Give uh, given the walking dead. Okay, so as we begin, um, I want to start uh, in Psalms. So I'm going to start with Psalm chapter 42. Um, we haven't said this in a long time, so I'm just going to say it. If you don't know, um, uh, if you download the Mosaic app on your smartphone, which is free, by the way, if you do that and you click on version in there, you'll find every week a live event in there that has all the passages of scriptures, some notes and different things. Uh, So if you want that to take with you or just to follow along, uh, just know that that's there. So we're going to Psalm chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. And I just want you to stir on this with me. This is what the author writes. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. and my God. And so I love this. I, I love this because he's he's arguing with himself. I don't know if you've ever found yourself there where it's like you know in your head what the church answer is. You know what the right answer is. You know that God is good, that God is loving, that God is near, but your experience in that moment does not seem to match up with that. Right? And so this is where he's at. He's just like, where, where is God? I know he's here. I will praise him yet. But right now, I know what it feels like to be in intimate communion with God. I've been there. I've lived that. But right now, I'm not experiencing it. And it's driving me crazy. Right? And he gives us this imagery of an animal in a, in, a, in a land where there is no water, of a dying animal. And he says, this is how I feel without you. I need you. Right? There, there's angst. Right, depending on your translation, it says, and I really want to hone in on those first two verses, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. Depending on your translation, it says, my soul yearns for you. My soul longs for you. All right, and it's important that we get this. Because typically what we do with this verse in, in Christianity is we throw it on like a coffee mug. Right? And it becomes this cute little precious moment. You know, or we throw it on a, a Christian T-shirt, and it's got the deer standing in the literal water with the, the horns, and then in cursive, as the deer pants for the streams of water, <laughs> So my soul. You know, and it's just like it strips it of the power that this passage has because there's it's not cute. It's really not. Like there is angst. There is this this longing. And I think it's safe to say, like this particular passage and this author, what he's communicating, is anything but indifferent. Whatever is here, it is real, it is guttural, it is passionate. All right, and it gets worse. So if you go to Psalm 63, says this says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, and with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you; your right hand upholds me. All right now, this is this is an interesting text. Okay, so follow me on this one. When, you, when there's certain texts throughout the scriptures where people encounter God in a powerful way, and they react in, in different ways. Right, so sometimes there's the this reverence. Right, so like Isaiah encounters God in this powerful way. He falls down on his face and he says, "Woe is me, for I have seen the King, and I am a man of unclean lips." All right, so there's like this reverent. Just worship, response to God. Right? And then there's other passages of Scripture where there's like this camaraderie between that man or that woman and God. Like almost like this friendship. Right? But whatever this is, it's more than that. Right? It's more than that. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Like Guys don't talk to each other like this. Right? Ross was here first service, one of my good friends. Right? When I see Ross, I go up and say, Hey, how's it going, bro? How's the rest of your week? You know, how was Sam's graduation? Right, what I don't go up to him is give him kind of the, the half, you know, grab and half hug and say, Ross, how my flesh has yearned for you. <laughs> in fact, last night as I lay in my bed at all watches of the night, I could not help but remember you. And when we cross fitted together and you told me my deadlift form was so good. <laughs> right? Like, Guys don't talk to each other like that, right? right, friendship is different, right? I want you to compare reverence, compare friendship to what this is saying. He says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Your love is better than life. On my bed, I remember you. I cling to you. right, this, honestly, it almost sounds like lust. Can I say that? I mean, it is more, it is definitely this longing, this burning fire within him. It's definitely more than reverence, I would say, and it's definitely more than Friendship. Something more real than that. This is more than, hey, you know what? You're great. I like you. Let's hang out. This is, I need you more than I need life itself. You are life. Go to Habakkuk chapter 3. If you have a Bible, good luck finding it. Um, And this is what he says. And we could go, by the way, go to almost any book of the Bible. You could almost just pick a book because this is everywhere. And this is what it says. And this is... This is, this is powerful. This messes with me a little bit. It says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes in the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer, able to tread upon the heights. All right, now this one messes with me a little bit, right? Because what he's saying is like, no matter what happens, no matter how bad life gets, I can't help but praise you, right? So even when business is going really well, I praise you. And when business is non-existent and the money's not there and we're struggling to survive, I praise you, God, Right, whether my marriage is great, movie and the romance is just flowing, or whether we're fighting just to keep it together, God, I can't help but praise you. Man, how different is this, guys, than what I see when I look around. It says, no matter what happens to me, whether I live to be 90 years old and die a wealthy man with a healthy 401k, or whether I die of cancer at age 33, I, I, I can't help but praise you, God. And there are so many more that we could look at. We'll just go to uh, Philippians in the New Testament. Hopping over to the New Testament. Philippians chapter 3. And this is Paul, and he says this beginning in verse 8. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness on my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him, even in his death. Whew, I mean, you, this is Paul. Okay, so if you've been around like church world for a while, right, you know that this is the guy who wrote 75% of the New Testament. All right, so we're talking about a guy through God work a guy who, through whom God worked in a way that's hard for us even to imagine. This is a guy who would go into a city like Ephesus, and he'd start preaching, and given enough time, the culture of the city would actually start to change. The socioeconomic landscape of that city would start to change as people responded to the gospel. I've never done that. <laughs> Not even close. Right? This is a guy who, who people, we were told, would actually clamor to just touch his handkerchief because there was healing power in that. I don't carry a handkerchief, but people don't come to me like that, you know? And, and, and there's, he's saying, I want to know God more than I do. Right? It's almost greedy. You know, it's like, hey, if I can just have a fraction of that, I feel like I could die a happy man. And he's like, it's not enough. I need you. I want you. I want to know more of you. Right? There's a, a passion and, and a life that... Uh, I think it's hard for us even to begin to imagine, but I hope you're starting to see a picture here. So we see as we look throughout the scriptures, this this is everywhere, by the way, just open up the Bible and just start reading, and you're going to find men and women who are characterized by this this life and this passion that's all-consuming whatever the cost, love of the Lord. But we also find this in history, too, so I want to read some dead guys for you. Um, So starting with uh, Augustine. Uh, and it's Augustine, not Augustine, which I learned in seminary this week. Because um, I said Augustine, and a pretentious person said, it's Augustine. It's, uh, it's like, I, I hate you. Um, <laughs> like, why? Why do you gotta, even got to do that? It's, um, so, if you're around seminary people, Augustine it is, just so you know. So this is, uh, this is Augustine. He says, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You are sweeter than all pleasures, though not to flesh and blood. You outshine all light, yet are hidden deeper than any secrets in our heart. You who surpass all honor, though not in the eyes of men who see all honor in themselves." O oh Lord my God my light my wealth my salvation you who are sweeter than all pleasures I love this I guess Augustine takes this sip of the best wine and he says that's good but you are better right who has sex and says that was great but Jesus you're better right who had wealth and says you know what yeah Jesus you're way better he says you are better than all pleasures, sweeter than all pleasures. Charles Spurgeon, one of the, arguably one of the greatest preachers of all time, said this. He said, I thank thee that this, which is a necessity of my new life in Christ, is also its greatest delight. So I do, at this hour, feast on thee. One of the greatest Christian classics is a book by the name of Pilgrim's Progress. and You'll have to fact check this, but I've been told it's the second most read book after the Bible. And it was uh, of it. George Whitfield he said that the book, when he read it, it smelled of lust and prison. Right. And if you know anything about the book, it was written in prison by John Bunyan, as his wife and their handicapped child struggled to survive outside of prison, and he could have been let go at any point. All he had to do was renounce Jesus, but he couldn't, and he wouldn't. And so he wrote this book called Pilgrim's Progress. And and of it, uh, I love George Whitfield. He reads it, and he's like. Smells like lust in prison. John Owen said, Oh, to behold the glory of Christ. Herein would I live, herein would I die. Herein would I dwell in my thoughts and affections until all things below become unto me a dead and deformed thing, no way suitable for affectionate embraces. And the best and most disturbing uh, quote is from a, a guy named Brother Lawrence who was a 16th century monk. And uh, he wrote a book called The Practice of Presence, which you can actually buy on Amazon, small little book. And uh, this is what he says He says, I have at times had such delicious thoughts on the Lord that I am ashamed to mention them. <laughs> like, I, I don't even know like, what, how to categorize that, you know? I mean, <laughs> you start throwing around the word delicious. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's, I've, I've had lots of thoughts on the Lord. None of them would I describe as delicious. Um, but that's him. Delicious thoughts on the Lord. I'm ashamed to mention them. So what we see is, as we open up the scriptures, we see this, this picture, this steady stream of men and women who had this angst, who had this restlessness, this just unquenchable fire, this consuming passion. and we, Not only do we see it in the Bible, but we see it throughout history. Okay, And then we also see it in creation. And, and the scriptures talk about this, and this is just so big for us. And I'm not going to say too much on this, because we're going to talk a little bit about this here in this series. But in, in Romans chapter 8, this will be the last place I go. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 19, this is what it says. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing. For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay, and obtain the freedom of the glory in the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So this is what this is what this means, and this is important for us to understand. This is what the biblical narrative testifies to, all right? Is when when sin entered into the world right, and brokenness and death and suffering and poverty and tragedy and disaster with it, that what was affected was more than just us. It did affect us. There was this disconnect with us and our Creator. But that all of creation was affected. And that all of creation feels it. And so every mountain and every tree and every star and every animal has this collective memory, this thing inside of them that tells them, that remembers that this is not how it was meant to be. Right? This is why for us when a bombing happens in Boston and innocent people are, are maimed and killed, this is why we are so fundamentally violated together. That no matter where you are in the country or in the world you see this thing or you see a tsunami that wipes out an entire village or an earthquake and all these people are innocent people are needlessly killed why it pains us like there's something in us that tells us that that is not the way it's supposed to be right and this is what the story of scripture testifies to you, that that's exactly right this is this is not the way it's supposed to be that sin has broken everything and that all of creation groans and longs for the day when Jesus will return and make it right once more. And so creation feels this, right? And so trees creak and wolves howl, right? And animals, you know, antelope long for the day when they don't have to run from lions anymore because all of creation longs for this day. It feels the pains of childbirth. It feels the pains of it just being off. Being wrong some way. Right? And the next verse speaks to, the, to us in this equation. And it says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. All right. So let's get to the question. So my question is not, biblically have men and women been so consumed by God? Biblically have men and women been filled with this angst, this hunger that's almost insatiable? And it's not, because biblically we see it everywhere. And it's not throughout history Right? Have we seen men and women who have been in the same place where they're so consumed with this all-consuming passion that they're willing to follow no matter what the cost because they can't get enough and only God is enough because we find that throughout the human history story. And it's not even about creation, whether creation itself longs for that very thing, to be with God and restored by God once more. My question is, why don't we... Why don't we? Why don't we feel feel that angst? Why are there so many good churched men and women and so few people who hunger for God like this? Where's why are we so easily just content? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, and wander I do. And this is not just projecting on you. I'm asking this question myself. This series, I am preaching to myself. Right, why do I continue to step into that place of indifference? Because I want that. Right, this is so different. Right, so different than what I, I see all around me. So different. Right, this, this kind of Western evangelical idea, this, this normal thing where it's like, you know what, God, as long as things are going well in my life, You're good. You're worthy to be worshipped. But the moment things don't go according to plan and we experience some suffering, it's like, you know, what happened? Where did you go? How can you do this to me? I'm out. It's so different. right? Because I look at these men and these women and they know a freedom and a life that most days I have yet to find. Right? Like Moses. Right? Moses leads that stubborn, annoying, grumbling people through the wilderness for 40 years, just around the desert, 40 years. They're complaining the whole time, right? And other than a couple minor hiccups, like Moses is pretty faithful the whole time. And after 40 years of trying to do the right thing and to serve God and to be God's man, they finally get to the the brink of the promised land and God leads them up on the mountain and says, isn't it beautiful? You're going to die right here. Right? It's like he brings them up there. He's like, is it not, as I described it, milk and honey and abundance of resources? And Moses says, indeed. Yes, finally. God says, yeah, but we're going to bury you right here. And he's like, what? Are you kidding me? Right? It's like God just says, this was your role to bring them to this place. And Moses' response, essentially, all right, let's go home. So different. Right, or how about Jeremiah? It's like every time he, he does the right thing, it's like he gets beat up, stripped naked, and thrown in a ditch. You know, like, really? So the call might involve that. And yet he responded with faithfulness? Or how about Isaiah? Oh, poor Isaiah. Like, God is like, okay, here's your job. You're going to preach. Your gut's out. But nobody's going to listen. Right, and right after he, like, voluntary, like... He volunteers. It's like, who will go for us? He's like, here I am. Send me. God's like, all right. This is really going to (laughs) suck. You know? And yet he does it. You know, I look at the disciples. We talked about this in the I Love My Church series. It's like they would go out, and and they're beaten, and, and they're physically deformed for the rest of their life, the skin stripped off their backs, and they leave rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering for the name? I mean, come on now. How different is that? All right, here's, here's the problem. Okay, and here's the problem, all right? What's changed? Because God says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I don't think it's that God changed. So what's happened to us? How is your reality different from some of these people that we're describing? This, this is driving, this drives me crazy. Why? Why is it that, you know, you look around the landscape just in the religious West, the Christian West, and it's like, I don't see the life that Jesus promised. When he said, I have come explicitly so that they might have life and have it to the full. But instead, it's like oftentimes I look at my own life, I look around me, and what I see is more like Jesus' words in Revelation 3 to one of the churches in Revelation. He says, he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Are you going through the religious motions? You're walking into church, but you're walking dead. There's no life there. And yet Jesus says, this is why I came. Right? Where are the, the, young, the men and women, young or old, of this generation, who are just like, you know what? All chips in the middle. I'm running after Jesus. I'm going to make... I don't know what's going to happen. If I blow up, I'm going to leave a crater that can't be ignored for God in this world. Come hell or high water, no matter what the cost, because Jesus is enough. Why? What's happened? Next week I'm going to start bringing some ideas. That's all they are. But you've got to wait till next week. I guess you have to come back. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God. I just confess to you at the start of this series that this is not meant to be condemning or judgmental. I'm preaching to myself here. And I confess to you just how often and even how easily I wander into indifference. How often I cling to comfort when it seems that you call us to so much more. I want desperately, for both myself and for this church to experience the life and the freedom that can only be found in you, no matter what the cost. So Lord, I ask that just this week, I ask that you haunt us with this question and that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what you have for us because there is an answer. So, Lord, we come before you now in worship, in song, and with our lives. And we ask that you would continue to do with our lives what you will. Pray these things in your name. Amen.